DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Father Donald Haggerty, a priest of the Archdiocese of New York, who has been a professor of moral theology at St. Joseph's Seminary in New York and at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Maryland. He has a long association as a spiritual director for Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity. He's also the author of Contemplative Provocations. With Father Donald Haggerty, we go inside the pages of The Contemplative Hunger, published by Ignatius Press. Father Haggerty, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Chris, for the invitation. I have to tell you, this is a tremendous blessing for me to be able to talk to you because your book, Contemplative Hunger, it has just blown me away. It is so wonderful. There's nothing quite like it out there. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate so much that. Thank you. What led you to write both of these volumes? Well, one one reason would be I had done many retreats over, at this point, over 100 retreats with the Missionaries of Charity around the world and so dealing a lot with the question of prayer and people who had great yearnings for a deep spiritual life, for holiness. And so I started to jot down thoughts over the years. And, and in time, that crystallized into something that seemed to me uh, worth sharing. And, and to me, this importance of deeper prayer is for all of us, priests, religious, and it's clearly being seen to be, a, to be a need of lay people. So many people now go to Eucharistic Adoration every day. Um, I'm in New York City. We have, we have a few hundred people, some hundreds, who come to daily Mass here every day. And this desire for, for God is, is so strong. So I would say that was my desire to have the attraction, love for, for prayer and for God uh, shared. That would be my primary motive in that. Well, what's so remarkable about this work is that unlike other books, contemporary books on prayer, which are more like a how to pray or, you know, this is the structure of prayer, yours is more of a why do we pray? What are mm-hmm. we encountering? It, 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 it stokes the fire of a, a desire that I think is already present in our hearts, doesn't it? I believe you that you're right on target there. I mean, we have this great desire in us, uh, and from the time we are children making First Communion, we have this great need for God. And, and then it's a question of giving uh, some open door to it, so carving out some, some time for silence and prayer in our lives. I mean, today, there's a great need to reduce distraction. And you know, not so much time on the on the cell phone and on the internet. And if you if we want God, there has to be a, a discipline at taking time for Him. And how a person does that is 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 very personal question. But to have time in front of a tabernacle to to go to Him personally, there is a there's a hunger in people for this. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't say everybody in, in Catholic pews and churches, but so many people, it seems to be a contagious thing in the world right now that people want to pray, and, and they want silent prayer. So, so 
some of this is, some of what I've written is, as you say, it's not a how-to book, but to try to get into that deeper underside, the deeper undercurrents of prayer. What is God doing to draw souls into deeper prayer? I'm glad you brought up the, the aspects of technology. When I talk about iPhones and tablets and just so many things that are causing us to be distracted, and it sometimes... I think even in our efforts to aid people and in coming into that deeper relationship with God, we get caught up with the means as opposed to the message, don't we? I think that's so true. And uh, it's, a, it's such a, a prevalent temptation now to, to, to be distracted in one sense, not to allow the mind some emptiness before God and... Um, I mean, to me, and what I've written in, in part there, too, I think a soul that becomes deep in prayer, in a way, falls in love with God, not so much emotionally and not romantically, but some of that symptom of being in love is in the soul of deeper prayer, and they are thinking more about God and you know, longing for time to, to be with Him. And some kind of regular pattern in, in a day, that can help a great deal. I remember reading uh, in a book about a Trappist monk who eventually became the abbot of his monastery. And the first thing he did as the abbot, he instructed the, the monks seven times a day when you're in the fields working in the, on the farm of the monastery. Seven times a day you are to stop for one minute. And in that one minute, with your whole heart, you are to adore God, and offer your life to him and love him for one minute and do it seven times a day on your own without the bell ringing, without a schedule. And the comment of this abbot was that he had a monastery full of contemplative monks after a year. And even this kind of you know, effort to, to pause in a day and give, give ourselves as an offering to God, that can have an impact on spiritual life. Yeah, I, I really think what you have advocated in this book, and I don't even think you're so much advocating as just uh, just expressing your experience, that it, you know, it, it causes us as church to rethink how we evangelize. There is this sense in this new evangelization that we have to go out and tell people so much it's almost as though we, they, and they have to know so much. And yet there are parishes all over the country that will have many, many people who are responding to what you've just articulated, that, that seeking, that presence of God. And yet we put them into programs and they go through and they, they know about God. I'm speaking of our CIA programs. And they'll come through in the Easter Vigil. But then, sadly, the statistics show that at the end of one year, a third of them will no longer be practicing the faith, and more than half within four years. So we're failing somewhere, and maybe, maybe this is the area that we should be emphasizing more, is that encounter, shouldn't we, Father? I think that's a great point. Uh, I wasn't aware of the statistics that you're mentioning, but my sense of even dealing with some converts right now, when people discover the beauty of prayer, then they're caught by God, the attraction for Him in a very personal presence in their lives. And 
I mean, perhaps instead of so many meetings and gatherings, if we had people who are seeking to become Catholic to, to go to Eucharistic adoration, sit before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, teach them to pray, and help them to live with that silent longing for God, you know, this may be what, what's, what's really needed. And, and in fact, in the tradition of our Catholic faith, this has always been repeated, maybe quietly repeated, but repeated until the present day. Certainly, Pope Benedict you know, made issue of it, that it's the silent prayer, prayer that is the, the flame and fire behind anything fruitful in the church. You know, any Carmelite, any monk will tell you that, but how true that is. And if prayer and a desire for prayer spreads more into families and into you know, public lives, if people are, are seriously prayerful in a certain quiet way, that's going to affect uh, so much in the church. Well, and I love the fact that you would bring up so much of the, the great teachings of what the Carmelites have to teach us, but also being the good son of Thomas Aquinas, it, it, much of what he was able to express, he was very much a contemplative himself. I think we forget about that, don't we? That's true. Some of, uh, you know, I think all of these saints were contemplatives because the, the primary reality of a contemplative soul, they're deeply prayerful because their will is very united to the will of God. And so a Thomas Aquinas who is consumed with so much intellectual endeavor, yet was a very, very prayerful man. You know, he protected his silence before God. Pope John Paul, St. Pope John Paul, was so deeply prayerful and at the same time, you know, such a, uh, a figure publicly and so much such great writing. All of these uh, saints were, were, when they were alone with God, that was, that was the, the primary reality of their life. And then they took that out into their public life. And that could be true for all of us, you know, to some degree. But we have to also carve out you know, so, some committed time that we protect with God. One of the things that, amongst all the, the many things that I love about your work is that you articulate the suffering of silence. That in a way, for many of us who want to enter into this ability to remain in silence and allow the Lord so that we can listen to have that receptivity, sometimes we're not going to have the warm fuzzies. It's not going to be an easy experience. And, and it's okay if we suffer in that silence. The world would tell you what isn't okay, doesn't it, Father? That's, that's so true. And it has to be a certain courage and a maturity of spirit to, to be persevering in silent prayer. And even if it's 15 minutes a day, and we can't go to silent prayer looking for an emotional uplift you know, that will be denied us. And there is a, an element of walking into, a, into the desert in a certain manner uh, when we pray in silence but also to be simple. I think God is asking us to be humble and simple to take you know, a, a small passage of the gospel and try to hear him speaking in that passage and to wait sometimes on God. Perhaps if we're distracted to pray an ejaculation 
like the Jesus Prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, or to pray an intercessory prayer like that, have mercy on us, or have mercy on the dying this day, and to take more simple prayer that reaches down into depths in our, in our life. And again, not to look for the emotional um, experience in prayer. It's, it's so important that we understand, don't we, Father, that what we're seeking is a person, or, or maybe better said, that a person is seeking us. And that maybe sometimes that's where we, we mess up. We think it's something that we initiate. Yeah, that's good, because the reality is God is drawing us, and that's what we see in the gospel repeatedly. Jesus approaches people. He invites. And sometimes it's good to begin prayer with the gospel precisely for that reason, to let Jesus speak first. Sometimes we are speaking you know, too quickly. And, and we have our needs. There are you know, often some problems that we're dealing with in life always, but to, to go to him. And I, I mean, one of the things I mention a lot in this book, I think is so important, we have to become more poor in ourselves and more quiet you know, with ourselves to turn attention away from ourselves and place it you know, toward him. And praying before a crucifix or praying before a monstrance or a tabernacle, really realizing he is really there and placing our attention on him. And then, in a mysterious way, more calmly, you know, he does speak in longing to our soul. So that, that effort has to be made in some way as we go on in our, you know, our search for God. Isn't an art that we need to acquire the ability to listen? Have we lost how to listen, Father? Well, I think that's a good good uh, observation. And, I mean, I like this phrase. I used it there somewhere of trying to practice a certain mental austerity, which, you know, we speak of austerity often in terms of physical things or a kind of asceticism. But there is a need for a mental austerity, not to be indulgent, you know, turning our thoughts on ourselves, our own concerns, and to practice, you know, a greater listening to others, to be more more quiet, you know, in, in listening, and certainly before God. And just, you know, when we think of going to Mass, to really to listen to the prayers at the Mass. Hopefully the priest doesn't pray them too quickly. And to listen to the consecration, really, to try to really enter into that, that offering ourselves, and to listen to the gospel to, and to listen in silence because God does speak in silence. He speaks with a longing for us. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. This is Dr. Anthony Lillis and Chris McGregor, and we invite you to join us in a once-in-a-lifetime Discerning Hearts Trinitarian pilgrimage throughout the Holy Land. This will be a unique opportunity for contemplative prayer, spiritual teaching, and fellowship in one of the holiest areas on the earth, the places touched by the lives of Jesus, Mary, 
and the apostles. During this time, we will also walk closely in the company of the prophet Elijah through the most miraculous moments in salvation history, our history, which would later become pages in the gospel. Along with Sister Magdalite Balduc of the Community of the Beatitudes, the community of the famous Father Jacques Philippe, we hope to lead you into a new encounter with the great mysteries of our faith and a renewal of your devotion to the Lord. Join us May 26th through June 2nd, 2020. Please visit discerninghearts.com for a full itinerary and learn more about the contemplative Discerning Hearts Trinitarian pilgrimage to the Holy Land. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. This is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts could not continue without your prayers and support. Please consider making a tax-deductible gift. Click Donate at either DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue our podcast for those on the discerning journey. Thank you and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. We now return to Inside the Pages. There is a a beautiful section in the book where you address the issue of the loss of religious truth. I alluded to earlier about those who, and myself included, and I I still continue today, want to learn more about my faith, learn more about God and those things around me. But you caution us not to, to somehow make our knowledge so narrow just down to facts and information, and that's all. There's a, a natural hunger that we have in our hearts that we can extinguish if we're too... Con- is analytical the right word? Yes, uh, that's, uh, that's again, a, a good point because, you know, it's one thing to share as Catholics our belief in the content of the faith, and that's a requirement, of course, for any deeper spiritual life. But there is also the very personal dimension of faith, and to be seeking this personal relationship with our Lord and His real presence and throughout the day, and and especially if we can pray in a church where His real presence is there in the Eucharist. And, you know, this effort to live in truth um, is not just a cerebral or intellectual act on our part. Or, you know, sometimes I think we have to be careful, too, that the goal of this life is not just not just to be an Orthodox Catholic, but mm-hmm. to really be united to God. And that's another deeper step in life, to seek in prayer and to seek Him and allow our life to be challenged. And, you know, the, the, the life of prayer always will show itself as we step out, you know, into a day. And there's a... There has to be a union, a harmony between what we do in prayer. If we're really surrendering, surrendering our life to God, then we have to be accessible to, to requests, to letting our life be, in a sense, filled with more holy demands from God 
for the sake of others. Oh, I, so, I think I, I think there that in that section on the affinity for the full gift of self, and, and I'm just remembering this off the top of my head, but it's essentially that God is calling us to love, give, and expect nothing. Mm. And if we're expecting something, whether it is to receive something back or to or maybe even on the flip side of that of being hurt that we need to take that to him as well don't we so true and and really to 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 think about that that uh the thought of giving a full gift of ourselves to god in prayer and using words that in some manner do offer ourselves more completely to god you know it's one thing to speak of words to surrender to God, to offer ourselves to God unreservedly, to abandon ourselves to God. But how real that is in prayer. And God does take us at our word there. And it doesn't mean that he's going to inflict suffering on life. What he does is he will unite himself more. And if there is something more of the passion of Jesus than in our life to be shared, that's also accompanied by a greater invitation to love, a greater surrender before him. And I know in my experience with the missionaries of charity over many years, they have some great souls there. I mean, any congregation will have, you know, a mixture of people, but they have some great ones. Some of them are little, small people, hidden, but these great people who are souls of great offering. And I've never seen that suffering made those people unhappy. They're souls of great prayer and surrender before God. In fact, they're the most radiant people I've known in my life. The whole encounter with the poor, it's such a gift for us. And yes, I'm speaking to those who are our brothers and sisters who may not have as much as we do, and we respond to their their material needs and their physical needs. But I'm also speaking of the, the poor around us, you know, a child that is born into a family that needs love and nurture and attention or an, an elder or whoever that may be that God has placed before us. And oftentimes, even in dealing with them, that is actually a very much a gift to us from God, isn't it? I think that's a, a, such an important uh, truth. That my, my sense of this is that God providentially is going to bring the poor into our life in some manner if we, if we really want God. And as you say, it could be somebody in our family. It can be, you know, somebody having a, a, an emotional breakdown, you know, who's close to us. It can be, you know, physically as, as parents get older. It can be the poor out in the streets. But when God wants us to be closer to him, so often he uses that avenue as well. Because it if we think of how serious those words of Jesus in Matthew 25 are, what you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. That's a great truth of, of faith, that we are touching him and the poor. And that does open a door you know, to a deeper longing for encounter with Jesus. And this is what, what prayer is. I want encounter. I want you. And he often uses some contact with the poor to get us started, perhaps, in that, in that longing. Is that how we ultimately end up living what St. Paul craved, was that to be able to pray 
you know, we sometimes we, we see that in the scriptures that we, we pray unceasingly, and yet we think, well, how is that at, uh, possible? But as you're speaking, Father, and as you've written, I mean, it's like an openness to receive him in everything we encounter. Well, this is so true, and there's a statement of St. Augustine saying, if, if you want to pray ceaselessly, never cease your longing for God. And that deeper yearning, the hunger you know, for God, that the more we can realize this is, this, is, this is burning within us, and the more we put oil on that flame and allow it to burn, then we're carrying that with us throughout a day. And then, no matter where we are, in a business office, in a profession, as a religious or a priest, in any kind of professional life, that burning flame can be taken into, into a day. And the real question is can, to keep cultivating it, to put oil on the flame, you know, to have time in some manner of seeking God and allowing our, our life to be, in a sense, that ceaseless, unending hunger for God. Mm. Is it true to say, Father, that for those who think, well, I'm, I'm not a contemplative, I can't practice contemplative prayer, that's a, a wrong way of thinking about it. Maybe what I hear you saying, that it, contemplative prayer is something that we're all called to. Well, the, the Vatican Council is famous for this remark, we are, we are all called to holiness. Mm. And if we ask the question whether holiness will always mean some form of contemplative life, the answer is yes, that Every holy life, the more a person becomes united to the will of God, is really surrendering their life before God, really offering their life as a gift back to God. That kind of life always becomes very deeply prayerful and also deeply, in some manner, contemplative. So there, there is a good, you know, maybe a book like this is also helpful to, to you know, open that window a little bit more to the understanding. The old notion of contemplative life being restricted to cloisters and, and monasteries, or even to speak of religious orders as active or contemplative orders, in some ways that's misrepresenting the, the greater possibilities of what holiness entails. And we're all called to this deeper relationship with God. If we could only pray 15 minutes a day, we may touch maybe just the surface of it, but that is that surface in itself is going to affect the life in a, in a great way. Well, I would encourage everyone who's listening that the contemplative hunger is one of those works, along with your first work, Contemplative Provocations, is one of those, if you just opened it and read each small section, just took one section each day, and just pondered that, just give yourself that that moment. I think you're like a doorkeeper, Father. You're like one of the great doorkeepers to the still small voice. You know, you're helping us open those doors. Well, thank you, Chris. And I, I personally, I like this um, these kind of short statements, a paragraph. Uh, you know, many people today read the Magnificat mm-hmm. and make use of the reflections. And this is also the way prayer is. You know, we don't we don't pray with reading, uh, you know, twenty pages at a time. Our prayer is tends to be concentrated, you know, focused on, on something. And 
some passage, for instance, of scripture. And, you know, I like books of that nature myself, these books that have short, shorter uh, paragraphs and, and in themselves can be, you know, food for thought. So I was attracted to that kind of writings and ended up writing in that fashion. Well, Father Haggerty, I wish we had more time. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, just, uh, I ask, you know, I would ask everybody, please pray for my parish here also at St. Agnes in, in Midtown Manhattan, where we have a commuting parish. We also have many poor people, the homeless around. But so many people, shockingly, how many people come into this church. And we have two and a half hours of confession scheduled every day in the parish, six daily masses every day. And it's amazing to me how active the confessional is here. It's, it's beautiful to see people coming back sometimes after many years. And the daily communicants is a, is a great education for me. Um, how many people are very fervent in their prayer. We also have exposition of Blessed Sacrament mm-hmm. three hours every day in the afternoon. How many serious people of prayer I'm seeing. So, and I wish everyone that kind of love for prayer and, and for a yearning and seeking of God. So thank you, Chris, for this time with you. Well, Father, we thank you, and and continue to write, please. Oh, thank you, Chris. With Father Donald Haggerty, we've gone inside the pages of The Contemplative Hunger. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this discussion along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors.